Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 33 of the No Look Past podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son, who thinks the biggest storyline from the Western Conference Finals is that it may be time for Marv Albert to hang it up. I have my co-host with me, Andy Flint. Flintmo, what's good? Hey, I just need to uh, give a shout-out to any MMA producers or fighter rangers out there who may need a guy who stands six nine and can deliver a perfect head kick. Yo, Draymond Green, you got to quit kicking people. Draymond Green versus Conor McGregor. I'm, I'm ready to see it. So we're going to get into our show. We are obviously going to talk all things NBA Finals, but first we kind of want to look back at what happened in the conference finals and how we got here. But first we will start with the outlet pass. It's the first pass in any fast break. Thus, it's the first pass in our show. Andy, as you correctly predicted before the series began, we saw seven knockout dragout games between the OKC Thunder and the Golden State Warriors, which, as we all know by now, ended with the Raiders champs coming back from a 3-1 deficit to advance to the NBA Finals. I ask a simple question with a complicated answer. How'd they pull it off? I mean, I think that they just stayed calm. I, I think you saw it last night. Um, you saw it in game six, and it's kind of really – the, the second halves of both of those games, though different, kind of told the same story. And I think it's the, the story of the entire series in a nutshell. It was just kind of staying calm. I kept saying about Steve Kerr, every time I looked at him, he seemed like he just knew what he was doing. And, and I say kudos. I said it after game six on Twitter. I, I mean, going through the motions, you talk about, you know, sticking to your game plan and, and just working it out and step by step and, and not diverting because something isn't working right then. They stuck to it. I mean, we watched Clay Thompson, you know, start out something like 0-3 shooting last night. And, you know, he turned around. He had three or four in a row. 0-7, I think. 0-7. Well, I think it was 0-3 from deep maybe or something like that. But I just – the the turnaround, they just – like I said, I I can't commend enough the fact that they just stuck to their guns and, you know, knew they had to win the series the way they had to do things. and, And it worked for them. Everything you bring up is perfectly legitimate. I mean, I think the other part of it is that they pulled it off by just, I mean, for people that keep saying, we're going to get into this in a little bit, that like OKC choked, that's not what happened. Like the Golden State Warriors, first of all, game six, I've never seen anything like Clay Thompson shooting performance in game six. And I've been watching basketball for a very long time. I mean, those threes he was hitting, he wasn't even looking at the rim. And I mean, they at a time where they needed it, and he did it time and again in the series where it just seemed like nobody was coming with him at, at some point. Like sometimes they lost games where this happened, but Clay Thompson put his team on his back on more than one occasion in this series, and that is part of the way they pulled it off. But I think you bring up the best point, which was sticking to the game plan. Particularly, I think Steve Kerr made it a point to go deep in his rotation in the beginning of the series. I mean, he, he, I think he played maybe 10 guys. You know what I mean? He had all four uh, big guys rotating. He had most Spades, Anderson Varejao, Festus Azili, and Andrew Bogan. He played all four guys, I think, almost I think every game. Maybe Varejao didn't play every game, but – so, you know, he was really rotating his, his players because I think he knew this was going to be a long series and he wanted them fresher. And at some point that wasn't working, but like you're saying, he stuck to the game plan. And I think those, like, inside track things that TNT does, it's kind of, like, pointless. It's just kind of like uh, you're not really hearing much of anything. I feel the same way about the interviews. But what, what you brought up is one thing I really noticed in all those coaching moments is that Steve Kerr was just like, it, it, this is us, you know what I mean? We're going to get it back. We're champions. We know what we need to do, and we can do it because that's who we are. And I really think that showed through, and, and I think in big moments, you, you really saw the, the calm demeanor just running the sets, running the offense, and then 
like I said, I mean, Clay Thompson, I don't think, can be understated enough with the role he played in them winning the series. I think Clay Thompson was the best player in the series, and you're gonna that's gonna fall upon deaf ears ninety percent of the time because, especially the way that that Curry ended the series last night. Um, but I'm not talking just you know the forty one in in Game Six. I'm talking the the defense on uh, Russell Westbrook. I mean, most of the time, if you, if you're watching the game, you really have a situation where. Clay's taking on probably the most explosive weapon on that offense. I don't necessarily want to say the best weapon because we do have Kevin Durant, but I, I my hat's off to Clay Thompson. I, I really can't commend this this young fella enough. Aside from his goatee, which is still horrible. Clay, holler at me, man. We have a barbershop. I have a barbershop here. I live in the woods. We'll get you taken care of. But I mean, I, I just I think yeah, Clay Clay to me was the most valuable player in this series. Absolutely, I, I definitely agree. Uh, we are going to move on to the teams that lost, the OKC Thunder, and then earlier in the Eastern Conference Finals, we are going to move on and actually start with the Toronto Raptors. Um, these are the departed teams, and I know you guys put on good job, good efforts, but Willie Walker would like a it's word. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. So you did lose, so we, we had to give you the departed shout-out. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, I just want to go through really quick because I have a quick question for you. In LeBron James' six straight NBA Finals appearances, he has played five different teams in the conference finals. Played the Bulls, the Celtics, the Pacers back-to-back, the Hawks, and then this year, obviously, the Raptors. My question is something that we've talked about on the show this entire season. There was sort of a revolving round, a revolving door around who was going to challenge the Cavs. Do you think that the Raptors are that team going forward, or do you think it's just sort of they're going to be one of those teams in that revolving door where maybe next year it's the Bulls or next year it's it's somebody else. Nah, B. No, there. I I don't think so. No, I I feel I I'm not even sure if Demar Derozan's going to be there any longer. I mean, that's a big question mark. We talk about Kyle Lowry sometimes. I know his popularity kind of came late in his career, but he's you know not necessarily a spring chicken. I. I do feel like there's some things there. Damari Carroll's going to make about 15 million. Um, but I, I, I feel like this is a team that could, you know, just re-sign DeMar DeRozan and they could be okay. I don't know how much better they get than they actually are now. I almost feel like I see the tip of the iceberg with th- this current core. And, but I, right. I feel it's just as easy to see this team just kind of be disbanded. It could be disbanded soon. I mean, if they, if they were to lose DeMar DeRozan realistically, I mean, what do they do then? So, I feel like DeRozan would be enough to, you know, drop them from the two seed to maybe not even a playoff team at this point. So, I mean, the East has a lot of those teams in the middle. Well, listen, hear me out. The East has a lot of those teams in the middle who I think, I mean, I feel Toronto has to probably fall into the the point where without DeMar DeRozan on that roster, as is, they're going to, you know, they're probably like a 7 to 12 seed. We know that that margin is kind of wide there, but there's a lot of hungry teams down down in that area that I think could could jump right in and, and potentially knock a team like Toronto out. But I don't know. I, I think it could go either way. But I, I don't I don't have a lot of hope in them. I, I feel like there has to be something. Some somebody's gotta come along in the East here to challenge LeBron James and whatever team he's playing for. I, I just don't know who it's gonna be. Yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, that question of who it is going to be. I think obviously one minor storyline, which is something we're going to get into in just a second here, is if Kevin Durant goes to the East, you know, if he leaves OKC and goes to an Eastern Conference team, I think that team automatically becomes the challenger to LeBron James. Uh, 
it's tough for me for the Raptors because, like you, I do feel like that they kind of peaked. Like, you really saw them playing at a high level, and I'm not sure, like, where they get better from here. I'm not sure what they could have done better than what they did this season as far as to take that next step. But on the other hand, you do have to, you know, they didn't have Jonas Valanciunas, who is probably the youngest piece that they have that can improve the most. So if Jonas Valanciunas were to take a leap and become maybe a top five center, which I'm not saying is going to happen, but I think he has the talent to do so. And I think that would be a difference maker for this team. I'm not sure how much DeMar DeRozan is a loss for this team, to be honest. I think he kind of clogs the offense a lot and he's not really a, a great defender. So, I don't know if it might be one of those. I mean, they'll definitely have to adjust without him. Obviously, he is kind of their clutch shot maker, too, which is a big deal. Could be one of those addition by subtraction teams where you get better as a team by taking away somebody that really just clocks the ball. If you think like uh, maybe like Rudy Gay in, in Memphis, like they kind of got a little bit better without him because he was such a ball stopper on that team. Uh, that That's something I would think about, but it's tough for me. I would I would lean towards what what you're saying. I don't think they're going to be like the the number two seed challenger where they play the the Cavs, you know, back to back to back conference finals or anything like that. But I don't think they're not a playoff team without Demar Derozan. I think they're definitely like a three four seed even without him, to be honest. But it, it'll it'll be tough for the Raptors. I'm curious what they do. Obviously, I think Bismack Biombo is going to be gone because he's going to demand way too much money. My man Bismack made about a hundred million dollars this offseason, and, and I might be exaggerating, and I might not be. Uh, but let's move on to the to the Western Conference. Obviously, the bigger story is the OKC Thunder. I know everybody's sulking and talking, saying, you know, choke KC that, choke KC this. But in the end, does this team overachieve, do you think? I think they overachieved to your everyday fan because I don't think a lot of people gave them a chance. I think when we watch enough ball, because I talked about this before, watching a ton of Thunder games this year, you know, I got the feeling personally that this was a much better team than what they were playing, losing all those fourth quarters. And they did this against the Spurs when they looked like bulletproof. And again, early in this series, they looked bulletproof, but we saw six and seven. And again, I don't want to say that I'm not saying Oklahoma city played poorly because that seems to be what everybody's saying, uh, you know, show Oklahoma city and they, they lost it. And I, and I agree game six, but, people are overlooking the fact that Golden State played well in both of those games. And, you know, I, I think that for all intents and purposes, I think Kevin Durant, my personal opinion, without knowing the guy, because I, I really never claimed to know what these guys are thinking. I think they did enough by beating the San Antonio Spurs for him to stay. And I think the people who are talking about Durant, oh, Durant's gone now. Durant's going to DC. Durant's going to LA. Durant's going to San Antonio. Blasphemy pipe dreams of all this craziness. At the end of the day, if you're Kevin Durant, you have to be thinking that, like, man, I was like a possession or two away from being in the championship right now. Is there another team? Is, is there realistically, of all these teams, is he better off with any of those teams than he is with, with the team he has now in Oklahoma City? They don't really have a lot to do. Uh, Deion Waiters, his contract's expired. Let him go. Let him go find a new home. Um, they need to improve that two position. Well, I was just talking about this this morning at work with a, with a guy. How many two guards has that team had? I mean, yeah. since James Harden, you've had Kevin Martin in the mix. We had Jeremy Lamb was in the mix. Uh, actually, I think Zabasepalosha was probably the best guy they had in that, that rotation probably now was. looking I back. Was just bring him up. But you, you have yeah. all these guys, and now you have guys in, in uh, watching Robertson last night take the worst corner threes I've ever seen an NBA player take, and he took like at least four of these. 
uh, it's just it's hard to watch because a lot of what you watch uh, Durant and Westbrook do, and especially in this series, is they they get the ball at the top of the key, and I know people call this hero ball, but it's really not. They drive. They purposely are drawing the double team, and Adams pops back out close to the free throw line, and they just lob it up over to him. And at that point, they're kicking to these corners, and they're hitting shooters, and these shooters can't make shots. So I think that's a big deal for them. But, you know, I, I, I think, yes, in the minds of most, they overachieved. In the minds of, you know, us, I think they're, they're about exactly where I expected them to be, and that's challenging, you know, the defending champs, the MVP, the 73-win season. They, they did all of that, and they, they should probably be able to go to sleep fairly well tonight. I mean, I know that, that losing sucks, but this team's in pretty good shape if you ask me. I think you bring up a lot of interesting points. First thing I want to say, and I tweeted this on, on the uh, podcast account, at NLP Podcast, follow us on Twitter. We'll just plug that every single day. So the first thing I tweeted was that OKC needs to pull a Coach Carter and just lock Andre Roberson in the gym until he can three and not let him out until then. I don't even know if he sees the guy. You know, that's his shot. That's going to be his shot. If he wants to stay in the league for 10 years, that's going to be what, what he does. He's going to play defense, and he's going to hit the corner three. Like, that, that is what that is his destiny. So he needs really to practice that and perfect it, and if not, he needs to go. But the other thing, as far as the question, I, I brought it up because I kind of do feel like they overachieved a little bit. You know, they beat the Spurs, which was, I mean, I, I don't think it was that big of an upset. I mean, I think it, definitely the Spurs were favored. I think everybody assumed that it was going to be a Spurs-Warriors Western Conference Finals for sure. But, you know, they're, they're a very talented team. It's not like a team with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, it's hard to call anything they do an upset just because they're two of the top five players in the league. So if they win, it's not like I'm shocked. But they definitely weren't the favorites to me. And then to really go up on the champions, and not only the defending champions, but you really can't not – you cannot minimize the fact that this is a team that won the championship last year and then broke the wins record in the regular season. Like, they're going up against a juggernaut. And they get up 3-1 and then, you know – Game six really was the game. I mean, I think you brought this up earlier, but, you know, game five, you're not expecting. The defending champions, they're not going out in five at home. That's not happening. You know, they won the game. They took care of business. And you come back for game six, and you really played a great game. You were up. And one of the things that's weird about this Western Conference final series is even though the Warriors won in seven, I still feel like OKC played better. I feel like they were the better team. It was just there was just too much momentum on Golden State's side, and they just had these these spurts in Game Six and Seven where they were just shooting lights out. And but we're going to get into this too when we talk about the finals. Is that I feel like Oklahoma City did a lot of things strategically that made them the better team and made them a, a good matchup for the Warriors. And it really seemed like maybe the better team didn't win. It was just the best team won. If if that makes sense, you know, you know, you you have well, a champion, and they just sort of knew how to win. I feel like in, in, you know, combat sports, you have a, the thing called a puncher's chance. And I really, I feel like this almost might sound like I'm, I'm belittling Golden State a little bit, and I'm really not. But in the NBA, you have a shooter's chance. And when you have the two right. best shooters in the league, you have a coach committed to moving the ball and shooting threes with, I mean, Andre Iguodala, just, just try to think back to the 76ers day when Andre Iguodala was an all-star and the guy was one of the most horrendous deep ball shooters I've ever seen. And he's out there making threes. We just have this team and they have a shooter's chance instead of a puncher's chance. And I do agree with you. I think OKC, I think there was points where, where Billy Donovan surprised to say this as I am, was out coaching Steve Kerr, but it was just like, they would just give up these little runs where like, Golden State was even taking like what you would almost, I want to call bad shots because traditionally they're bad shots, although they don't seem like they're bad shots for this team. 
but they were just hurling these shots and they'd go in and it'd be like a couple of haymakers and OKC would just be on the ropes. And I really feel like when the chips were down, the Thunder did what the Thunder have always done. And they kind of relied on a little bit of that erratic hero ball, the turnovers, you know, the forcing things and, and just not really trusting the system. And I, I think we saw the exact opposite on the other side of the court. And, and that's where the series really came down to for me. Yeah, you know, there was issues throughout all seven games that I don't think the Warriors ever solved things that the Thunder were doing, and I think it's something that the Cavs could use going forward. Uh, but let's close with the Thunder really quick. And we're going to go – we've been talking a lot of good things for the Thunder, but let's go on the flip side. We do realize this team is potentially one year away from being Steven Adams and Deion Waiter's team, right? Like if KD leaves or signs a one-year deal and then Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka, their contracts expire, they're just going to be like, here you go, uh, Hodor, Steven Adams, Dothraki. Team now, you lead us to the promised land. I hope not. <laughs> All right, those are the losers. We're going to move on to the winners. The NBA Finals are among us. It's the Golden State Warriors against the Cleveland Cavaliers rematch from last year. And as we know, in the NBA Finals, like Casey once told us, All right, first I want to shout out the hustler in Simbarajo, who literally has nothing to play for, uh, nothing to lose since he played for both teams, and he's getting a ring either way. If you played more than three minutes a game, this would be an amazing opportunity for bookies to sort of uh, lure you to, to just uh, play for the other side with Tim Donaghy. But, all right, Golden State and Cleveland will rematch. Let's look forward by potentially looking back. Do you think either team will benefit from having played the other last year in the finals? I, I don't know. I, I think that's always a tricky question. I I think a lot of times when you play a team, you know, repeatedly, you, you talk about it a lot in football, the divisional games, I think they, they benefit teams in the playoffs. You know, when we, we feel like we always see like the Bengals and the Steelers in football. And I think it benefits those teams because, you know, they see each other every year. I think in this situation that there's so many games in between then and now and the no Kyrie, no love thing. I feel like for Golden State particularly, I, if they're looking at the film from last year, they're going to have a lot of, a lot of tough days because of this team. It's just different. This Cleveland team, they've changed so much. I think Cleveland does get a little bit of a benefit of the doubt with golden state because, you know, they know it. We know it. Everybody knows what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. It's just going to be a matter of stopping them. So no, I don't really think that there's much of an advantage after playing them last year. Uh, that was my exact point. I think it's more so for Cleveland because the same team that they were last year, you know, they got the same roster, they're running the same sets, they really have the same, really the same plays and everything. I mean, obviously, Steph is sort of maybe even a little better than he was last year. Clay's sort of emerged more than he did last year, but these guys were the focal points of the offense, you know, last year too. So I think you might see something where it's usually like game four, like middle of game four, into game five where the team just knows everything the other team's going to run, and it's just a matter of execution. I think you might see that a little earlier in this series. I think it might be maybe like game two going into game three where it's just sort of like each team knows the other's plays, and it's just a matter of execution. And I think that makes for a better final because you don't have as much time where they're kind of trying to figure each other out. So I think in the end it'll make for a more competitive finals. I think you'll see a better brand of basketball because of that. Um, the other thing I think that's going to be interesting with this series sort of trending away from this question is Cleveland has gotten a lot of rest this postseason and Golden State really has not. They've, you know, obviously Steph has been out. They're, they're saying that he tweaked his knee at the end of the first half when he made that layup last night. 
So I think that's going to be an interesting storyline in terms of the rest versus the non-rest. I don't know how much of a factor that really plays, especially like we talked about with Steve Kerr going deep in his rotation, he, really the entire playoffs, but particularly in, in the Western Conference Finals. My next question for you is, do you think the Cavs can learn anything from the way the Thunder played the Warriors in the Conference Finals? Do you think that there's anything the Cavs can do that the, that the Thunder did to sort of help them? Well, first of all, shout out to that ridiculous floater layup that Curry landed last night when he hurt his knee. Um, but I, I do <laughs> just I, one of those moments where you're like, what the hell just happened? Um, I, you know, I do think that they should be trying to take a page from what OKC did. And I think the biggest thing OKC did that I saw, I mean, obviously it was their length that bothered uh, the Warriors quite a bit. And they did. We talked about it, Frank, beforehand about whether or not they were going to be able to do the, the Cantor and Adams thing. And I think that I think they really were able to play their game as much as they possibly could, although I think the Warriors played their game as well. But, uh, yeah, I think right. I think the Cavs can learn. I think it's the switching. If you notice a lot, OKC was switching like everything. Yep. And I think they, they got away with it a lot of times because you would notice when they got their worst matchup, the, the matchup that least favored OKC, it was Westbrook on Draymond Green. And honestly, I thought a pretty good job was done um, for, for the most part. So I think, you know, the Cavs can look at that. I think they got to switch a lot because you can't be letting these guys shoot and you've got to create ruckus in these screens because you know that Steph Curry is trying to do the merry-go-round where he runs around right. the screen four times and then just kind of popped out and he's in a corner and there's like 10 feet of space. So they, they've got it and they've got to be vocal. And, and I feel like LeBron James is a student of the game, a guy who watches a lot of films, a guy who tries to prepare his teammates, a guy who spends a lot of time on the phone with Shane Battier getting tips, analytics and such. So, I, you know, I feel like, I feel like they'll be prepared. And I think, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, maybe he's on the phone with Kevin Durant right now. Like, hey, I'm going to get you to Cleveland. It's going to be all good. Help me out. Let me know what they did. So you can play for the defending champion. Shout out to, to you for making the Shane Battier reference. I, I just want to shout that out real quick. But I, I agree. I do think that there are things, particularly, I think, on the boards. The way that the Warriors got killed on the boards by the Thunder is something I definitely think Cleveland can duplicate because they are a bigger team if they want to be. You know, they have, obviously, Tristan Thompson, who's one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. And I think that was really the – not only the boards, but particularly the offensive boards, I think is what you saw the Thunder really get away with. Every rebound was a struggle for the Warriors in this series. And that was one of the things that I think they never really solved uh, from the Thunder. I think they killed them all series, including in game seven. So um, that's something I think the Cavs can definitely duplicate. Like you said, the switching, um, that's something that actually the Spurs really tried against the Warriors and then the Thunder really adopted from the Spurs. So I think the Cavs could adopt it from the Thunder, from the Spurs, that kind of thing. Um, but the, the the other thing I think that they should try and do is have LeBron play the four, just like Kevin Durant played the four for the Thunder. And I think you can see the similarities. Like you have LeBron to Kevin Durant. You have that similarity. You have Kyrie to Russell Westbrook, sort of the explosive point guard. You have that similarity. You have Kevin Love to Serge Ibaka. I think that's a good similarity. And then the, the, where they kind of fall is that OKC is a lot more athletic, like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, they're not going to be able to switch on to Steph Curry the way that really Adams played great defense and Serge Ibaka played great defense against Steph Curry when they got switched on to him. I don't know if those two guys can really duplicate that, so I think that will be an interesting thing if they try to adopt what the Thunder do, if they can really pull it off because of that. So to move on, what does this mean for the legacy of LeBron James in particular? Obviously, we have the 2-4 and four final storyline. I mean, for me, I'm just going to answer first. Like, I think 
anybody that makes seven finals to me, it, it's very impressive. I think Steph, you know, Steph talked about it yesterday when he was in the press conference. He said, I pulled all the guys aside and I wanted to let them know, like, we should celebrate how hard it is to get here. And for LeBron to do it six years in a row, I think is just completely incredible. I mean, obviously, if he loses, it will be sort of disappointing. And obviously, people will say, oh, wow, you know, he's two and five in the finals. But for me to get there six straight times is just amazing in and of itself. And I think that should be celebrated. I think it's a must win for LeBron James. I, I <laughs> get, Getting to be that time. I, I And it's not even me personally. Um, but you know what is an interesting thing I heard uh, yesterday was somebody said – LeBron James' legacy was brought up in the same sentence as the early 90s Buffalo Bills uh, oh, going boy. four times in a row. And I was like, you know, it's silly, but this is, this, is the way, this is the way we discuss this. This is the way we dissect these things. The fact of the matter will be if this guy goes six – I don't hold against him. That, that first championship is not held against him. He was too young. He wasn't the LeBron James that we eventually saw – you know, become the face of the league, but six years in a row and it's done with two different teams and that's already in the air. I think he needs to, to, sh- to shut up some of the people. I think at the end of the day, the people who really don't like LeBron James are still going to find a way to be like, well, he was only 50% in six years. And, you know, the others are going to say, well, he's still one game back because of that first championship in right. all of that. And I think the people who, you know, understand basketball and do truly appreciate LeBron James legacy and six in a row is crazy. And I think it's even crazier with two different teams. If you're, if you're asking me, but I mean, cause you're talking chemistry trade-offs and everything like that. But yeah, I really think for, you know, his overall legacy, he, he needs to get this one. Um, not, not only for the fact that it will be his sixth trip in a row, but he's got to get a little revenge for last year. And he's, he's got the guys. He's got the troops. Kevin Love's healthy. Kyrie Irving's healthy. I, I think right. it's, it's time. I, I think that would be the storyline. Is like last year he sort of got a little bit of a pass, because, and, and rightfully so, I, I believe, because of the way the roster looked by, by the time they got to the finals. I mean, Della Vidova playing like 35 minutes a game is, is not – I mean, he's a good player now, and he's a lot better now than he was even then last year. But, I mean, there's no way he really stood a chance with the squad that he was throwing out there against this juggernaut of the Warriors. But, you know, and you can kind of nitpick each each finals and sort of say, like, oh, here's why he lost this one. But I do agree that he kind of – he it would be, mean a lot more for his legacy if he won, but I just think that we're not celebrating enough, like, what it means to go to six straight finals. All right, really quick, who is the who do you think is the X factor for each team in the series? For me, I think it's Iguodala on the Warriors. And for the Cavs, I kind of feel like it's Tristan Thompson. I kind of feel like if he doesn't, like, kill the offensive boards, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, I absolutely agree that it's Andre Iguodala. Steve Kerr's a smart man. Steve Kerr's going to go to what he went to these last couple games. I think he'll start Iguodala. Get Iguodala on LeBron James. I mean, Harrison Barnes is a good defender, so he can wear him down after Iguodala's already, you know, put on the initial pressure. I think he's a good guy to come in and kind of play steady defense after the fact. The X factor for me for the Cavs, I think it has to be Kevin Love. And I don't necessarily think it's what Kevin Love does as much as what Kevin Love doesn't do. And I, I, I really think my man Kevin Love is going to have trouble in this series, I, I defensively yeah. especially. And I think if he plays – he doesn't have to play great, but if he plays good defensively and he's not getting lost out there and getting threes buried all over him – I think that's that's the X factor to me. If he plays good defense, I, I think the Cavs should have the the advantage. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right about this, and I think but maybe by game three we're going to see a lot more Channing Fry than we do Kevin Love, to be honest. All right, over uh, under right now a hundred. No, 
Not points scored by either team. Hours J.R. Smith will stay awake celebrating an NBA championship. 100 hours. What do you got? <laughs> oh, it's it's way over. Way over. <laughs> it's got to it's be way over. All right, let's close just simply, obviously, the obvious question to close on. Who do you got? What's your prediction? I've got Golden State in seven. Golden State in seven. Now, you correctly predicted the Western Conference Finals that way. I have Golden State in six. All right, so that's what we have. We both have the Warriors winning. Um, I think it's going to be a very competitive series. I think it's going to be a very competitive six games. Um, we want to close by giving our co-signs. Uh, these are some Facebook groups that co-signed us, so we co-signed them. You rock with us. We rock with you. That's how we move. Uh, Sports Overtime, S-T-O-R-T-Z Overtime. we got Real NBA Talk and NBA News. These are the, the groups that have co-signed us, so we co-signed them. That's how we rock around here. All right, so we are going to move on to the end of the show every week, like Jay-Z once said. Well, we don't believe you. You need more people. Andy Flair, who, who needed more people this week? Every single person I see on my social media who's letting the NBA reporters get the best of you and convince you that what Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant did was really that disrespectful during this series. These dudes were answering questions. And, no, Steph Curry is not underrated defensively. <laughs> that, that, that's a good one. I am going a little off the grid. I'm going with Andrew Bynum, your, your boy, out here rocking the, the George Hill blonde afro. We respected it when Rodman did it because he was winning championships and banging Carmen Electra. Andrew, you ain't doing either one. So, you know, NBA reporters, Andrew Bynum, Jay-Z would like to Well, we don't believe you. You need more people. And with that, that is the end of our show. Join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast to see us debate Tony Kukoc for Sage of three-point releases. We will close, as we always do, with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought, Basketball is a lot like last call to bar. Sometimes better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.